Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fintech Cafe, and I'm your host, Ambika Sharma. This is episode 47, and today we have Soups Ranjan joining us, who is the co-founder and CEO of Sardine. The conversation originally took place with a live audience on Clubhouse, so what you're listening to is a recorded session. And in today's episode, we cover Soup Ranjan's background and his journey to entrepreneurship. We cover how Sardine is building the fastest risk-free on-ramp for crypto to instantly approve ACH transactions. And we also cover overall suite of tools that Sardine offers around identity, fraud, risk management to facilitate crypto transactions overall. So with that, let's kick off with a round of introductions. My name is Ambika Sharma, and I'm a product manager. I have been involved in the fintech space for about a decade, and I have worked in the US, Europe, and Latin America. I'll pass the baton next to my co-host for her introduction. Sure, it'll be really quick. Um, a co-host with Ambika on Fintech Cafe and in the financial services space by day. And Soups, I'm moving to you. You are the founder and CEO of Sardine. And as we've read, you've assembled a, a team of highly experienced fraud fighters to eliminate the friction and risks associated with the Fintech fund settlement. And previously, you've uh, got a pretty well-decorated history with helping scale Coinbase over a thousand X, I think I saw. You also worked at Revview to launch the US mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, one of the few European firms that actually have continued to stay successful on the US grounds and also helped build their fraud and compliance stack from scratch. And also you've got a very decorated list of patents uh, listed up to your name. So fairly successful and comfortable. So why leave that first stint in entrepreneurship? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Ambika and Monisha. Yeah, by the way, I just want to say I'm a big fan of uh, what you all are doing here with Fintech Cafe and an honor to be invited. Yeah, I took the leap into entrepreneurship because I always knew I wanted to start something. And after leaving Revolut, when I was thinking about multiple ideas, the, the, the idea that I always kept coming back to was to start a company around fraud prevention and by thereafter get into payments. And because fraud prevention is my, is my domain of expertise. So yeah, I just uh, took the leap of faith and luckily met my two co-founders, Zaheed and Aditya at Revolut, which gave me even more of a confidence to go start something. And yeah, when you start a company, it's uh, someone had described to me, it's, it's almost every stage of it is, is like you, you know, jumping out of an airplane uh, with a parachute, which has not been open. So, uh, so far we've been able to sail successfully. Great. Thank you. And then I know I kind of briefly mentioned some of your background, but would love to hear in your own words, how you came about to getting uh, to where you are today. You mean uh, with respect to the company? Oh, 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 actually your background and career path, but we will definitely get to the company part next. Got it. Yeah, got it. Yeah, my, my background is, I, I went to grad school. I, I, I have a PhD and, and I actually wanted to go get into academia, which is why you see a long list of academic journals and patterns, et cetera, because I come from a family of academics. But yeah, at the end of the day, I was also very passionate about just using data science for solving for problems, right? And I decided not to get into academia. I continued with with essentially using data science for initially fighting cybersecurity alerts, worked for a company which was selling into telcos, then got into applying data science for 
advertising related issues like uh, detecting click fraud in advertising or optimizing the matching between an advertiser and a consumer. And then thereafter, you know, I, I met some folks in the early day who were involved with Coinbase from the early days. I met them actually at a security conference and that's where I got my first sort of intro into the world of, of, of crypto and, and, and fraud and fraud prevention in crypto. So that was super, super interesting opportunity because, you know, this is 2015. I had just read a little bit about Bitcoin, but yeah, the fact that it's, 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 it's money that, you know, you can truly own, but then it also attracts the, the, you know, the most sophisticated fraudsters ranging from nation states to organized uh, criminals to, you know, uh, anyone looking to make a quick buck. So I am always there wherever there is high high risk issue which involves or which could require data science to solve for it so i jumped at that opportunity to go lead data science and risk for coinbase built up the 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 fraud prevention stack over there starting with writing the machine learning algos myself first and then left for uh, revolut because i had never really got an exposure to international payments so that was my reason for joining a company based in the UK, all the, you know, all those three letter acronyms about international payment methods, like SEPA and faster payments and, and, and all of that. Yeah. And then after having been at two high growth companies like Coinbase and Revolut, for me, really the, the next remaining challenge or milestone was to go start something, which is where, which is why Sardine. Great. And you brought us to Sardine. So with Sardine, you're trying to get people faster access to their money. What are the specific friction points that you're tackling, Soup? So just to level set for the audience. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the the main friction point that we're tackling is uh, speed of money movement, right? So today you can sign up for an account at a fintech or a crypto app or an NFT wallet. You can sign up for an account within a minute. But then when you actually try to load money into it via ACH, you're stuck waiting for the money to settle before you can actually get access to your crypto or buy your favorite meme stock on Robinhood or what have you. And that is a very frustrating experience. Like even from my own experience, once I wanted to buy a particular stock on Robinhood, but I couldn't, I couldn't buy it because I had to wait for my funds to settle. Right. And we built a set what I would call one of the, the gold standards in this, in this user experience, which is at Coinbase, where we give you access to your crypto, we give you access to the price of the crypto, even before dollars have settled via ACH. But then we restrict the withdrawal of crypto so that we are not left holding the bag if there is a potential chargeback or a dispute on that ACH transaction later. So now with Sardine, what we are saying is that yeah, that's that that we need to bring an instant access to funds type of an experience to pretty much all the fintechs out there. Yeah, it could be so that you can use the funds to you know pay for your rent, or it could be you want to use the funds to 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 pay for some goods, or it could be because you want to buy a stock or a crypto or an NFT, right? Soup, so one question. Um, you mentioned that you're trying to get instant type of funding experience. Is that the same thing as real-time payment solution or is there? A yeah, so real-time payments is, just, is one way of doing it, uh, one way of doing instant settlement, right? So what Sardine, we do is 
we our position is that right right now ACH is the preferred choice of payments when you want to load money into a wallet excuse me into a wallet and the reason for that is because you know ACH is cheap the UX is pretty pretty decent because you don't have to log out of the app and go into a bank and then push money into into the app out of the bank with RTP you have to do that you have to log out of the the fintech go to the bank push money back right so our our thesis is that for the next several years ACH is still going to be a preferred way of loading money into a wallet but someone has to take on that fraud liability and give access to those funds instantly so what sardine does is we say that we will give you the, those funds either in raw fiat that settle into the checking account or actually we can actually also deliver crypto which settles into a uh, into a crypto wallet while we go and debit the bank account later either via same day ach or next day ach Got it. Okay. So on your website, it says that Sardine offers a comprehensive suite of APIs for payments, fraud, and compliance. So is it fair to say that you guys then started off with instant settlement offering for payments? Is that what you guys launched with? No. So we, our story is pretty interesting. So we have built Sardine almost like a TCP IP stack, right? So the lowest level over there would be, you know, the, our analog form Ethernet layer would be that we built even device intelligence ourselves, right? So my co-founder is Zahid, he, he's done this, he's an expert in doing this at companies like PayPal and Uber. So what we did is we basically built a behavior-based device risk assessment platform ourselves, which allows us to detect if I'm using my own identity or if I'm using a stolen identity, because if I type my social security number, I'll type it quickly from long-term memory but if I'm, let's say, if I'm become using yours, I'm going to be distracted while typing it. So we built device and behavior-based risk platform first. Then on top of it, we have added a payment fraud uh, solution where we risk create a bank or a card which is being used to load money into the wallet, right? But now our pitch over there is that our relationship with the fintech customer does not end after they have loaded money it actually continues even when they're moving money in and out, right? So we do ongoing transaction monitoring as well, right? So now the next level is where we are adding payments via ACH, where we'll settle into raw dollars in the checking account or crypto, right? And now the common theme around everything that Sardine does is that we are in the business of confidently loading money into a wallet. And the confidence part comes from everything I described earlier, which is, you know, us taking on the fraud risk liability, us doing the KYC and the ongoing transaction monitoring. Got it. That's very comprehensive. Thank you. So when I go back to the, one of the questions we like to ask all our founders, and that's around founder market fit. So different from product market fit, the idea would be that the people who came together to launch the respective company, they are the right people to do this respective yeah. idea. In French, mm -hmm. I guess that would be called je ne sais quoi. So I wanted to mm -hmm. ask, why you, Zaid and Aditya, your two founders, why are you all, why do you have this founder market fit? If you could tell us a little bit about their history and how this all culminated. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. So, so I'll start with Zaid. So Zaid is, you know, like a fraud and payments veteran from like last 20 years from companies like PayPal, Uber, Revolut, et cetera. And he built device intelligence for PayPal 
which then famously saved them about $40 million in fraud losses annually, right? And then Adipya, he, 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 he launched Revolut in the US, including, you know, Revolut script product together with me and, 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 and a larger team, right? And so he's, you know, one of the, what I would call folks that I know who's the most well-versed when it comes to understanding, you know, payments and the regulatory aspects of payments, right? And then my background is as a machine learning engineer. I wrote the machine learning algos for Coinbase to, to stop card fraud. And I don't know if you guys remember, but Coinbase was actually late to adding card-based purchasing of crypto. We did it much later than our competitors. And we were very scared about doing it and you know, because of fraud, but we were successful. We did it slowly. We, we, we scaled while keeping fraud in check, et cetera. And then again, I, I later also, while I was running Risk for Coinbase, I helped build the, the program which allowed folks to go from thousands of dollars of limits to now what is like hundreds of thousands of dollars of limits to buy crypto using ACH, right? So yeah, so in, in, in a nutshell, you know, based on our you know, prior trajectories, you know, built things then before FinTech, a revolution was a thing, right? So we, you, know, you wouldn't have said Coinbase was a fintech company. Then at least we never thought of, a, of it like that. Three years ago, when I went to uh, work for Revolut, not many people had heard of Revolut. So we have therefore seen, you know, what does it really take to, to do payments really, really well? What does it take to launch a new bank successfully without losing your shirt the, the first day you launch to fraud? We also know, you know, how do you, build an experience which balances fraud and friction, or rather fraud and growth, right? And we, we were all passionate about helping the next generation of fintech entrepreneurs, so they don't have to, you know, learn on the fly like all of us had to, right? I don't know if this was <laughs> the answer you're looking for. Yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> such great background. No wonder Andreessen yeah. Horowitz uh, was part of Series A. It makes sense now. So you were talking about the space of fraud, AML and fraud. Could we double click on that? If we could just talk a little bit about the space. I, when I was researching, I found one of your quotes. So I'm going to quote here. You said that mm -hmm. the first reaction of any company that's hit by fraud is to add mm -hmm. friction to the customer experience. Yeah. And I laughed mm -hmm. when I read it because it's so true. I can attest. So yeah. if you could just tell us more about the space of fraud AML and how competitive is it, competitive is it and what are some problem statements from both like the fraud teams and you know providers like yourself yeah 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 the, f the first thing i will say is that fraud and even money laundering is not something which is taught in school it should be actually you know it's it's not even a discipline anywhere so a lot of people just learn it on the job and then compliance is more well organized so compliance you can go and get like various aml certificates right but but then still, like, you don't really learn it unless you actually learn it on the job, right? So what we oftentimes see is that the, the folks that we are selling into uh, are folks like, like we were like five, six, seven years ago, where we are just learning on the fly. And a lot of what we are doing oftentimes when we are selling is actually educating the customer, right? And that education comes from, you know, it's again, not something that can be taught in school, not something that I sit down and have written about. It just comes from all the, the raw experiences of, you know, fighting, fighting very dedicated fraudsters throughout our careers and all those, you know, what I would call bruises we have, all the 
from, from having done all of that, right? So that is what allows us to instantly connect with our buyers, with our customers, and you know, help them understand that it's more than a product that we're selling. What we're selling is really you know, the fact that they can get access to our combined knowledge here and which can help them truly succeed when they launch their fintech, right? So for example, <clears throat> Paki, McCormack, Paki McCormack has a very interesting saying about, you know, when this article about API as a business, right? So for example, if when with Stripe's five lines of code, it's an API, but what you're really getting is Collison Brothers' brain when it comes to loading money via the Stripe five lines of code, right? In a similar vein, with the 20 lines of code that we have, what you're really getting access to is this combined wisdom uh, about fraud and compliance from Sardine. And that combined wisdom is in a form of a technical API platform. Yep. Yep. yep, yep. Okay. So could we talk about the use case of AML fraud? What are your offerings there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, so first of all, most of our customers, they come to us when, when they have a, a fraud problem and those who don't have a fraud problem, they have a growth problem, right? Because they may have added too much friction on their customers, right? So they may, customers are not adding as much money to the wallets, the limits are too low, customers are stuck waiting for loading the money out for multiple days, et cetera. So what we do is you know, at the time of loading money via ACH or the card rails, we can score the payment method as in, you know, using our machine learning models, we can tell you whether we think this payment method is stolen or not, right? And then subsequently, whenever money is moving in or out, like now, if I'm using the FinTech to, uh, to do a peer-to-peer -peer transfer, or, you know, I, I'm using the crypto app to do a crypto withdrawal, to send it to OpenSea to maybe buy an NFT, right? Or maybe I sent it to a darknet market, you know, to, to buy something illegal, right? So therefore, Sardine continuously monitors the transactions as well, both on the fiat side as well as on the crypto side and does money laundering detection as well, right? Now, <clears throat> a lot of people, they, they club all of this together into one term that they like to use, which is they call it transaction monitoring. So, <clears throat> so that is how you could describe Sardine as well, that Sardine is doing transaction monitoring from three angles, right? So first was, you know, we are scoring the payment method, which is being used to load money. Second, whenever money is moving, we are doing AML. Third, which is also what we do is, now a lot of fintechs are issuing a card, so we can also monitor whether this card was, was, was stolen and was used in an unauthorized manner. So we call that as issuing fraud, right? So, so that's what we do at a high level. I'm happy to double click into any one of these as well. Sure. I just want to ask Monisha, I've been speaking for a time, if for a while, if you have any questions. Yeah, I was just kind of curious, Tips, as a part of some of what you're building, what creates differentiation for Sardine? Because is it, do you tap into industry, some sort of a consortium of data, or is it all uh, based on internal algorithms? Curious about where the differentiation comes in. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the core of what we're doing is the, is, is behavior, right? So in a nutshell, you could say that Sardine is a behavior infused fraud and compliance platform. Now there have of course been, you know, a lot of payment fraud providers out there, uh, 
they all come from the e-commerce transaction fraud world, right? Because you know, as I said, three years ago, FinTech revolution was not a thing, right? Most of the payment fraud providers, they were being used for, you know, seeing if a card that I'm used to buy something is, is being used to buy something using a stolen card, right? And when you're doing e-commerce transaction fraud, you can get away with looking for shipping address and shopping cart for the most part, right? So yeah, like if I have a stolen card, I'm gonna uh, buy the highest value item in the e-commerce store and then ship it to a drop shipping or a PO box. But now when it comes to loading money into a wallet, right? You don't have a shipping address and you don't have a shopping cart as a signal. All you have is a user's behavior. Now say, Monisha, if I stole uh, your SSN and I stole Ambika's card, uh, debit card, and I'm creating a synthetic identity and, 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 and verifying it at a fintech, first and foremost, I'm not going to use my own IP address. I'm going to use a proxy or a VPN. Second, you know, I'm probably not going to give away my device profile. I'll probably just install some sort of a mobile emulator or a virtual machine and, and run it on top of my desktop. Because every time I do it, I can delete the virtual machine and recreate it and get a new device profile, right? Third, when you know, typing uh, Monisha URSSN, I'm going to type it slowly or I'll be distracted while typing it. And fourth, when I connect uh, Ambika's card, you know, instead of the card number being auto-filled by the browser, the card number, I'll actually have to copy-paste it, right? So we look at all of this behavior transparently in a privacy-preserving manner, right? And then combine it with all sorts of identity signals that we purchase. We purchase signals from about 20 different data providers, ranging from, for example, in this case, if uh, uh, Monisha stole your SSN, chances are high that I would not have stolen your phone number as well. So therefore, when I create the synthetic identity, I'm going to use you know, a prepaid phone number or a VoIP, which I've registered under a different profile. And I'm also going to use a disposable email, which I've just newly created and does not even have you know, any social media accounts linked to it. Right? So now we go and buy data from telcos and email intelligence and social media partners. And of course, we buy data from you know, various bin blacklists or bank blacklists. We also buy data uh, from blockchain analytics providers, because if I have done all of this and now I'm buying crypto, chances are high that I'm going to take this crypto and within a few hops, this crypto is going to go to a darknet market, maybe to buy something illegal, or I'll send it to a mixer or a tumbler so I can launder it. Right? So we bring even the blockchain analytics data into bearing for this payment fraud risk scoring. That's fascinating. I think my levels of anxiety just went up about my social security number. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I mean, it, yeah, it is. It's, and that's the fascinating part about this space. And I probably keeps you up at night because it's just mm -hmm. constantly evolving, I'm sure. And continuously, you need to stay one step ahead or several. And I know we have about three minutes left before the end of our structured session. And so in terms of that staying ahead in the space, how do you manage to kind of think several steps ahead of some of your of the people whom you're trying to anticipate from a fraud standpoint yeah no absolutely yeah so the 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 key here is yeah we are you know looking for intrinsic behavior which you can never change right so that's where i gave you the example of copy pasting or you know autofilling etc right like so that's one thing that gives us the advantage that we are, you know, at least we can 
stay one step ahead of the fraudsters if we just look for their intrinsic behavior patterns, right? The, the second thing that is very critical here is that, you know, a machine learning algorithm can never succeed on its own without human in insights, right? So what we've also done is we've actually invested in, in a fraud as well as an AML ops team. And we've hired, you know, you know, leaders who have like led these functions at different fintechs as well. Like our head of fraud ops, Greg, he comes from leading fraud prevention from an operational point of view at companies like Square and Nextdoor. Our head of EML transaction monitoring uh, did a similar role for companies like Gemini and Voyager, uh, the Canada-based crypto company. So these folks, you know, are basically on the front lines detecting uh, new fraud rings or AML rings and creating new typologies to catch them. And then also working hand in hand with our machine learning engineers and giving them insights into how to tune their machine learning models. Great. Got it. Thank you. And then just finally, in terms of how you partner, I mean, and we'll probably continue asking questions as we bring people on, but just in terms of partnerships, your offering right there out there is primarily for fintechs. How does that uh, integration start? Like, is it consumed as a part of some of the existing fraud processes? I know in the news, we've recently seen uh, some of the fraud related to fintechs. So how are you providing these security layers? Is it in addition to or by itself? Just curious about that integration with partners. Yeah, no, so, so the integration with Sardine is the following. So, you know, you embed our SDK, step one. We have both JavaScript as well as Android slash iOS SDKs. And step two, you make an API call to us and you pass us uh, any info you gathered at onboarding or about the payment method. And then we do the data enrichment ourselves transparently. So uh, you don't have to configure it. And the way we sell our product is, you know, we can give you a machine learned fraud score using just Sardine proprietary data, which is about the device and the behavior, or we can enrich it with all the 20 different data partners I mentioned, and then give you a fraud score. Thank you. With that, I'm just going to quickly see, I know we have someone already raising hand. Ambika, should we open up while we continue to ask questions? Yeah, we didn't get to ask all our questions, but we'll just trickle in hours along with the audience as we go. I think Anand, I'm trying to invite you if you want to come up. Anand, you messaged me your question. But yeah, we can open up. Just a reminder again, we are recording the show. So if you're coming on stage, please state your name, where you're dialing in from. And then at that point, you can ask a question or share your thoughts. Anand, if, okay, he says no. I can ask on his behalf. It looks like it's noisy wherever he is. So Anand and I, we used to work at SoFi together. And he's asking if you partner with third-party provi data providers such as LexisNexis. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So we, for our AML sanction screening product, yes, yeah, so we partner with Lexus, LexisNexis for that. Okay. Thank you. As one of our data sources. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. The next one I have is from Gupten, and he's asking around data privacy. If you could talk more mm -hmm. around if you're capturing PII or... If so, then how are you navigating data privacy and storing that data adequately? Absolutely, yeah. So we, so we actually are privacy preserving when it comes to our device and behavior biometrics, right? So when people are typing, we're not interested in what they're typing. Uh, so we actually take every character and map it into an app. All we're interested in is the speed of uh, typing, right? And to the extent that we actually work with several PCI tokenization companies where they can 
embed sard- they have embedded Sardine SDK. And you know, when you're typing in your card number, et cetera, it does not violate PCI compliance, right? However, it can provide all those rich signals about did I copy paste my card number or did it get autofilled by the, by the password manager. <clears throat> and then besides that, you know, we also of course comply with uh, both GDPR in, in Europe and CCPA in, in California. We, we also have SOC 2 type 2 compliance and we of course have a head of privacy as well as a head of security on staff. Awesome. But. Is this data being stored like in a centralized data mart, which is on your server? Yeah. So then when we store it, the, from a, first of all, what I would like to state is that from a fraud prevention point of view, yeah, you can do this under the purview of, you know, and I'm going <laughs> to throw in a legal jargon here called GLBA, Gram Leach Bliley Act. So that is what we do. And then secondly, of course, you know, any PII is encrypted when it's stored at rest. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, looks like we have two people on stage. So Deidre, welcome back. If you want to introduce yourself and then ask your question. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so I'm calling, um, calling. Oh my God. <laughs> I just gave my age away by saying I'm calling. First time caller, long time listener. I am in Oakland, California. And I'm just trying to think of the, I'm listening to you and I'm trying to think of the next frontier, like something that maybe can't be faked, something that makes us innately human. I'm thinking like brain waves, blood, (laughs) body temperature, heart rate. Yeah, I mean, you. okay, maybe I've watched too many gory movies, but somebody can just like take somebody else's eyes and use them. I'm just Mm -hmm. trying to think about where can we go next because there will always be hackers that just stay maybe, if not a whole step, but maybe half a step ahead. When you think about 10 years, 15 years from now, what do you think? That, that's a great point. Yeah. But, but, by the way, Deidre, I live in Berkeley, so neighbors to Oakland. Yeah. I think the, there, there'll always be, you know, multiple factors that you need to prove who you are, right? Like, the reason why we all use SMS as a second factor is because NIST said that, you know, you have to prove uh, that you know who you are as well as, you know, that you have access to a, a device that has been previously seen or registered, mm-hmm. right? So, so in that regard, I don't have a specific answer for you, but the frame that I like to think about is the following that <clears throat> like, if you look at even crypto, so long as you remember your private key or the 18 word mnemonic, which is associated with that private key, then, you know, if you memorized it, lots of people did this, it was actually foolish, but if you memorize it, then no mm-hmm. one else can take it away, away from you. Right. So that is now your money. That's why crypto is money. Right. But now in order to actually store it securely, you have to map it, you know, into some physical world thing. Right. So a lot of people, for example, they would, you know, either write down the 18 word mnemonic, but then what if your house burns down? So then, mm-hmm. then came then came things like crypto steel, which is like okay, I will uh, engrave it on a steel so that if my house burns down, you know, uh, no one gets access to my private key or it doesn't get mm-hmm. burned down, right? But then what if someone steals it? So people said, okay, I will actually start sharding it so that you know I and I did it. So I would and my 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 sister-in-law is in the audience as well. I sent her one shard as well, right? So we we you know, but then 
it becomes like how much deeper do you want to uh, go in order to actually secure your money and really prove mm -hmm. that you have access to it right mm -hmm. but then maybe in future you would have uh, simpler ways of proving who you are based on your intrinsic behavior right and that could be on the way of how you hold your phone it could be a combination of you know iris scan plus how you hold your phone maybe right and the, the that that's what excites me about biometrics right Mm -hmm. uh, the future is, is the future is going to be pretty interesting ten years from now. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Deidre. Vabhav, welcome. I think he's a fan of your soup. This is uh, the person who introduced us. So, Vabhav, the floor yeah. is yours. Hey, guys. Vabhav, how, you do? how you doing, good. man? Good, good, good. Yeah. good. So, a, a long time fintech nerd uh, to Deirdre's to echoing your introduction. So. Soups, I, question. I, my question is, how like identity in 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 the crypto world is still hard. Like so 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 when when somebody's connecting a wallet to your fintech app, or actually wants to take crypto or or something else out to another wallet, a coin, let's say to to a wallet or, or an NFT transfer to another wallet, there is no way for me to actually figure out if this you actually own this wallet, right? I don't know if you yeah. have mm -hmm. thought no. about that. You're looking at working at some solution to figure out how do I make sure this person who claims, who or who, who's 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 my member or who's who who who's an account, who has an account with me, actually owns the wallet which he's trying to connect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today, the only way that you know, people can verify it is if you know the mnemonic or the private key, and you can sign a transaction with the private key, right? But then, just where like the 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 best instantiation of it would be with what Ethereum name service ENS and other companies like ENS are trying to do, right? Where you can now map, you know, like a, a domain name to someone's uh, public key, essentially, right? So that Vabhav, I, if you if I know your ENS handle, then I can send you money. But then, of course, you know, we have to assume that you know uh, you haven't compromised your private key to the that was mapped to the ENS domain, right? So at the end of the day, you'll still need, I would still need some other way of out of band verifying that no one has compromised you or your uh, domain as well, right? Right, yeah, yeah, that's what we, we were wondering. You know, yeah. and I was talking to the Anchorage team and, and they, they were saying we are, that's why we are wary of like allowing people to send money out of our sort of custodian platform because we can't verify who this wallet belongs to. So that remains still a, challenge, especially if you're a regulated financial institution, because you can't really verify, like, for example, you use Plaid to verify that you own the bank account you are connecting mm -hmm. to, but you can't do that with wallet. No, you can, you can, right? Like the, the, signing, the, the, saying, the trust. Yeah, you can get them to sign. Yeah, signing with, yeah. It's very complicated, yeah. right? Like you need, you probably need like a yeah. custodial mm -hmm. wallet like MetaMask, but if I have money in a Coinbase account, there is not much I can do about it. If you have money in a Coinbase account and, you know, Coinbase has enough history about all the places you've logged in from previously and all the device identifiers you've used. And if this session, the new login that you're doing is from a previously trusted device identifier and you know you use the same email as you've used before, you've entered the 2FA token correctly, then to a certain extent, Coinbase can say that it is you returning. If not, then Coinbase will challenge you and ask you to do a selfie, right? Which is something I built at Coinbase, and then with that selfie, then you know Coinbase can map whether this selfie maps the previous selfie that is stored on file, right? Awesome, thanks. No, I, I meant uh, yeah. if I was, 
I, I was connecting to a fintech app with my Coinbase uh-huh. wallet. That fintech app has no way to figure out that I'm actually a, a you know, valid Coinbase wallet user. The only way, yes, 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 yes. It depends on, you know, when companies like Coinbase start providing more of an identity API. I, I don't think they do that right now. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I'm trying to understand this use case because fraud AML is also new. Then the concept of funding via crypto wallet is also, but are you referencing the use case where you're trying to fund a fintech account through a crypto wallet? I just want to know. Right. Or, or yeah, exactly. Or taking money out of a fintech app into a crypto wallet, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and you know, if, if I was doing today to a bank account, I could connect using a Plaid or an MX or a Finicity and they will give me a name and sometimes address or even phone number and email and i can match it to my customer's name phone number address and say yeah it's the same person who's trying to connect this bank account right but they, we can't do that in, with with wallets so you can't do that with crypto exchanges today but there there was a company which coinbase acquired called uh, zabo uh, which was essentially building a plaid for crypto exchanges right so to nice. do exactly what you described right I'm pretty sure there might be other companies which are trying to redo what Zabo was doing. Thank you. Thanks for entertaining my question. Yeah. So we have a couple of questions from the back channel, Suf. So I'll read them. Mm-hmm. First one sure. is, this one's from Kiran. Sorry, I think I misplaced it. Okay. So this one's from Kiran and she is, she's actually in credit risk for one of the blockchain fintechs. And she's asking mm-hmm. if you could share a customer story. If specifically, if you could share the one around Brex, since that's also listed on your website, but she's curious to get a ex- specific example around a customer journey. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll pick yeah crypto customer. So yeah, so some crypto customers. You know, I don't know if you know, but until 2017, you could use a credit card to buy crypto, right? But when 2017, the price of Bitcoin went all the way up to 10k. Then the, all the banks which were issuing cards, they got scared that they will have a lot of credit default sitting on their hands. So therefore, they, they, they then worked together with Visa and MasterCard to change the MCC code for crypto purchases. So which meant that today in the US, you can't use a credit card to buy crypto. It will be treated as a cash advance. Secondly, what it meant is that crypto is a high-risk category from an MCC categorization point of view. So therefore, when you use a debit card today to buy crypto, then you know chances are very high that the issuing bank which issued that debit card is gonna, the, the fraud algorithm for that bank is going to you know, look at that transaction with a, negatively and therefore more likely to decline it. So therefore, we, we've seen this problem across the industry for lots of our crypto customers. They're, a lot of them, they make the mistake then is that they then uh, fall back to using 3D Secure, which in the US honestly doesn't really work. So in the US, when they make when they start using 3D Secure, then of course you know uh, the liability gets shifted from the 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 merchant, which is the the crypto exchange, to now the the issuer. But then the issuer does not like taking on the liability, so they decline it even more heavily, right? So the bottom line being that we've worked with several of our uh, crypto customers where uh, we advise them not to do 3D secure. In fact, to use Sardine as an orchestration layer to decide whether you want to do 3DS or not. Maybe you don't want to do 3DS on everyone, too much friction. You only uh, do it on the higher risk transactions. 
And then secondly, we've been able to, you know, using our behavior and, 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 and the consortium approach we've taken to building a fraud algorithm, we've been able to reduce the fraud rates for many of these customers from, you know, one of them, we reduced it from 5% to 50 basis points in the span of several months. So a reduction of 10x, right? Wow, that's amazing. Good. One question we have from the chat. I don't know the individual's name, so I'll just read it out. Does money yeah. flow to the payee through Sardine or does it go directly from payer to payee? Or is Sardine a money transmitter? Yeah, so Sardine is not a money transmitter uh, today. We are uh, working on applying for MTL licenses. And the next year or so, we aim to have it in all the 50 states. We, so to, today, going back to our product suite, right? So lots of NFT crypto companies, they use us for payment fraud. So they may work with, with, with a payment processor or they may be talking to the bank directly to do ACH money movement, but then they've run Sardine alongside the payment processor to do fraud prevention, right? So in that regard, Sardine is not really moving the money, but the new solution that we announced a month ago, and we'll, we'll do a more major announcement shortly, is where we have built an ACH on-ramp to crypto as well, in which regards Sardine essentially, you know, will deliver crypto into a non-custodial wallet like a MetaMask or a Brave browser or a Rainbow wallet, etc. And the idea would be you come into Sardine, you connect a bank account, you do KYC powered by Sardine and Sardine does the fraud scoring of the bank account. And then we will give you access to the dollars in your bank account and we will convert them into USDC or stablecoin or Ethereum or what have you, about 20 other assets. We give you the access to those assets instantly while we go and debit your bank account ourselves, either same day or next day ACH, we do that debit later, right? So in that regards, we see ourselves as the bridge between the traditional finance world and the crypto world. And we think in the future, you know, dollars or stable coins are all gonna look one and the same. And the, the, but the only thing that is stopping that right now is instant, easy access to these new digital currencies. I know from a growth trend standpoint, there are probably several things that are really getting you excited about some of your value offering. Could you share some of the things that you see that's going to help accelerate your growth in the next phase? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we are super excited about this instant ACH on-ramp to crypto, right? Uh, <clears throat> uh, so. By the way, I want to uh, clarify. So Sardine is not going to be or uh, not positioning to be a B2C or a consumer facing <laughs> company. This is strictly, strictly an API based offering or, you know, we have a UI as well. So some customers are uh, working on using that UI, but the idea here is that the, the next phase of growth for Sardine would be enabling instant access to crypto powered by ACH in wallets all over, right? So in that respect, we are bringing a Coinbase in a box type experience to all these wallets, right? So therefore, when you want to buy your next NFT, you, you're not stuck waiting a few days to take money out of, to take Ethereum out of a centralized exchange. You can do all of that instantly inside a wallet of your choice, right? And in that regards, the, the, the go-to-market there is very much an enterprise strategy. So uh, all the companies that we already sell to, all the crypto on-ramps, the crypto exchanges, the uh, NFT platforms, et cetera, so in, besides offering them a fraud and compliance product, we are also in conversations to get them onboarded onto our ACH on-ramp as well. 
and how did you d- discover that space or the gap there uh, that there was a need for that on ramp from ACH? It's it's yeah a, a lot of things that startup founders do is really just colored by the very unique experiences that they have had, right? So it took me two years, me and my team two years to do ACH based limits at Coinbase to a point where we were not hitting the uh, the NACHA thresholds of fraud rates, right? Took us a long time to get it right. Second color that I would add is that I lived through the times when all of a sudden you could use a credit card to buy crypto at Coinbase, but no longer could you do that. And therefore the only thing you could use is a bank account, right? And then the third thing I would add is that because of what I described about this push and pull between the issuing banks who don't want you to use your card to buy crypto, but then therefore they are declining transactions, that is what leads to a really, really terrible user experience today when you want to use a card to buy crypto. So in other words, ACH is the only thing which was left, which is Greenfield, where you know no one is going to like decline an ACH debit. But the reason why people don't use ACH to buy crypto or you don't see products like Sardine out there is because doing fraud prevention over there is pretty darn hard, right? And because of our genesis and you know having having worked on fraud prevention as a product first for several years, that's what gives us that unique leverage to go and even you know offer a product like this. In other words, to summarize, right? Fraud is the cost of moving money, and that is why with Sardine we are doing uh, what we're doing, which is giving access to your money instantly while we take on the fraud liability. And Soups, why do you take that fraud liability and how sustainable is that? Yeah, no, so uh, the only way, so first of all, just first and foremost, in the card network, Visa and MasterCard, they intermediate between the merchant, the customer and the issuer, right? And then they work through the whole chargeback dispute resolution. In ACH, no one does it, right? So the lens that I want to provide here is that because ACH, no one does it, so conversion rates can be really high. Right. Would you agree with me on that? But if the conversion rates are going to be high, fraud is also going to be high. Right. And someone has to be that backstop. And of course, it's not, you know, know, it's it's a risk arbitrage. It's not something where when we move the money and allow you to buy crypto, it's a very much a calculated risk. It's not. um, it's, It's not uncapped liability because we are saying this is the dollar of crypto that will allow you to buy. And out of it, you know, X dollars will be available for you to use instantly to fund your NFT purchase or withdrawal. And then the rest we will hold in escrow while we wait for ACH to settle. Right. And of course, you know, it's not it's not unlike e-commerce where the margins can be low when you do arbitrage, risk arbitrage. Crypto, the margins can be high because an average customer is not as sensitive to the price of crypto, whether they pay a uh, thousand bucks or thousand dollars, thousand and five bucks to buy their Bitcoin. When they want to buy it, they want to buy it now at the price that they see now. And Supes, another question around, because you are a B2B platform, will I as a customer ever see like any, any logos of sardines? Like how will I know that I'm, that I'm interacting with your platform? Let's say I have a Coinbase account and I connect it to my Chase account so I can make my transactions. At what point does Sardine enter the scene, that flow, and will I, will I be aware? Yeah, no, because of, you know, all the BSA, or Bank Secrecy Act slash AML responsibilities that we undertake on behalf of the banks that we work with. So we, you would see 
you know, some elements of the flow when you're buying crypto in some wallets, you will still see sardine as being mentioned. However, that's not, you know, we're not trying to build a consumer brand. That's solely because from a BSAML responsibility, the end customer has to know, you know, who is it that they're actually buying it from. And then most of your customers are mostly fintechs, right? Or have you also uh, ventured into the banks yet? Most of our customers are fintech, NFT platforms. Or, you know, we, we, we've started engaging with banks as they are all now getting interested into crypto. So we, in the, on that note, actually, we, we announced a pretty key hire. So we announced Ravi Loganathan recently. He was formerly, he spent like 10 years at, at early warning systems. He launched Zelle the P2P app at EWS. He was chief data officer over there. So we've hired him to build our bank partnerships, right? And yeah, so the idea over there would be, can we start working together with banks? Can we start building a bridge of collaboration between banks and fintechs, right? When it comes to data sharing as well. So I'm just curious about your vision there, a bank partnership. What do you envision? And I ask because I'm a very skeptical person around banks that they will actually offer crypto as like an asset class for their, for their customers to invest in. The only mm-hmm. one I know is, you know, US Bank, for example, is a custodian for crypto. But what, do you, what are you expecting from the financial institutions that you have created this key yeah. role for? Oh yeah, no, just to clarify. So the, the, the bank partnerships is purely a data consortium play from, from our point of view. So in order to lower the cost of money movement, as I said, Fraud is the key, and in order to lower the fraud rates even further, we, you know, we now want to start creating a data partnership by by combining data across fintechs, across banks which sponsor fintechs, and across larger banks. So I'll give you one one core example here, right? So today, if I have a stolen Chase account, I can't walk in into Bank of America and link it easily. Actually, I can't do it at all because big banks they share this information with each other as to which banks are stolen. Now, I would argue that the amount of bank accounts which are stolen and are floating around in the dark web has probably been the same over the last several years. The only trend that has changed is that number of fintechs has grown exponentially. And now the, 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 I could take the stolen Chase account and easily connect it to Chime, to a Brex, to Varo, to Aspiration Bank, but the, the fintechs don't know that this bank was actually reported as stolen because the big banks, they don't share this info with fintechs. Second, now if I have now loaded a stolen bank's money into a cha- into a chime, I can take money out of chime and then pass it on to Aspiration, to Varu, and chain it such that none of these fintechs would even know what has happened, right? And that is what has given the fraudsters that unfair or undue advantage that there's no consortium or data sharing across fintechs and between fintechs and sponsor banks and between fintech sponsor banks and the big banks. Right? So is that a play on open banking? Is that the space you're trying to tap into? It's not a play on open banking per se. It's more of a data play so that we can build. You know, you know, right now, of course, we have a consortium approach where uh, all our customers are naturally part of it. But what we want to next do is cobble together a consortium where we bring in non-customers into it as well. Right? Awesome. I mean, yeah, EWS yeah. is a consortium of big banks, basically. Yeah. Agree to yeah. instant yeah. Mm-hmm. settlement of funds. Yep. That's why they built Zelle, right? So now I think something similar has to be done for fintechs, right? Yeah. 
yeah, that's great foresight. So good for you for building that thought leadership. I think the banks will appreciate that. Hey, and so just a clarification, I mean, I, I know you're primarily focused on the money movement and payments as it relates to wallets and crypto. Is there any expanded use case for just money movements in general? Because I know you said you were a part of pay, a payments landscape and payments in itself has a huge degree of fraud and other things to tackle. So just curious about the specific use case around crypto digital wallets versus other potential use cases. Sorry, could you repeat the question? I didn't quite catch what was questioned there. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, just trying to understand the expansion of, you know, the fraud detection. Is it primarily centered around payments to uh, and from digital wallets slash crypto, or is it also within the payments ecosystem in general? Oh, yeah. No, so we, yeah, so we are, as I said, our motto is we are in the business of confidently loading money into a wallet, right? So we are not doing other things beyond it when it comes to money movement. After, you know, after we've done the on-ramping, then the next natural extension would be off-ramping, right? So how can we now allow folks to convert the crypto into, sorry, convert the crypto back into fiat, right? But that's basically it so far on the roadmap when it comes to payments or money movement. Got it. So no immediate plans yes. to expand beyond? No, not yet, yes. We're already doing enough. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's lots to do there. Talking of doing enough and coming to the end of this conversation, Soups, are you hiring? Uh, we see that you just raised 19.5 billion from, or million, excuse me, million, from Andreessen Horowitz. <laughs> so what's next? Are you hiring? What are the yeah. main roles that you're hiring for? If you could talk, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, we are hiring <clears throat> pretty aggressively. So we are now 56 people strong. The most important and critical roles for us are customer success, technical support engineers, and risk analysts slash data analysts, right? And then besides that, on the and and of of course, sorry, I forgot to mention our product managers, right? So right now, my two co-founders are basically de facto head of product for one for the head of uh, platform and the other head of crypto. But we are looking for more hands-on RPMs to come and, you know, build this amazing, amazing vision. Awesome. And the last question, and we can close it out. Uh -huh. And that is when Sardine is immensely successful, what does the world look like? What's your end vision? Yeah. When Sardine is immensely successful, then you would have, you know, dollars in your checking account, as well as a stable coin, as well as an NFT, all in one form factor in one place. And you would be able to move seamlessly between the three while using sardine and sardine-like solutions, right? That's bold. I don't have an NFT yet, so I need to get on with it. Manisha, anything from you? Or we can close it out. No, this is great. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Okay. Absolutely. I enjoyed the conversation. This is fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Just as, a, as an announcement, we barely, he barely agreed to joining us late last night. So thank you for bailing us out because we didn't have anyone today. So thank you, Soups, um, for joining us and for educating us about confidently loading money into digital wallets. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you remember it. Love it. Yes, Mission I wrote it down. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. Well, with that, that's the end of today. And uh, we'll be back next week, same time. Actually, no, next week we'll be back at 5 p.m., so our regular time, and we'll have Argyle. So we'll talk about payments API. So awesome. with that, I wish you all a great evening.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ambika and Manisha. Cheers. Bye. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. If you like the discussion, we welcome you to join us during our live shows every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. We'd be delighted to have you there. You can also find other episodes on all major podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd appreciate if you could leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Until next week, be safe. Thank you.